healing is good. It's a testimony of what God can overcome. Despite the devastation, God brought healing and joy back in my life. And I began to realize that my identity is in Christ, not in the trauma that I'd been through. Welcome to the Storytellers Live podcast, where everyday women share stories of hope found in Jesus. I'm Robin, and I am here with Katie and Lindy, and we are your podcast hosts. And today we are bringing you a story from Memphis, Tennessee, and it has been quite some time since Memphis had a live gathering. And funny enough, Emily was their storyteller before COVID hit. So she has had approximately two years to work on this story. And we do want you to know before it starts that Emily's story is about sexual assault. And so take care while listening. Mm -hmm. Know that if you have kids in the car, this may be one that you don't want to listen to with them. That's right, Robin. And you know, I know a lot of times you hear that and you think it's going to be a really heavy story. But I want to tell you, Emily's story, while there is heavy content, There is healing throughout her story of what God can do when you've been through a traumatic event. And she Mm -hmm. talks a lot about the freedom that she finds through that healing. Yes, and we're so excited that speaking of freedom, in our When God Shows Up Bible Study series, we are launching the second Bible study, Discovering God in Stories of Freedom, this August. So if you are interested in ordering that, go right now to storytellerslive.org, and we'll have all the information of how you can get that shipped to you. Here's Emily. I'm fortunate to say that I grew up in a Christian home where I was loved and cared for. I was encouraged to always be myself and have confidence. I've always joked that it was the fear of my mother that kept me and most of my friends out of trouble. Some of them are here. (laughs) They can attest to that. But she was also a lot of fun. I am the oldest of three. I have a younger sister and a younger brother. We're all two years apart. So growing up, we argued a lot. But we also laughed a lot and had a lot of fun together. I just have a lot of really good feelings and memories of childhood. I had that typical 80s Southern Christian upbringing. I had Christian friends. I went to a Christian school. I was at church at least twice a week. Lots of Jesus in my life. (laughs) But God knew in his sovereignty and omniscience that that was exactly what I would need as a foundation. spiritually. I don't remember a day that I didn't believe in God and that Jesus was the son of God, born as a baby and lived a perfect life on earth, then died on the cross for our sins, was raised again after three days. So those truths of Christmas and Easter, I had that down. And then when I was about eight, I realized, oh, there's a choice in believing that. Not everyone believes the same way that I do. So at that point, I asked Jesus into my heart. As I got older, The Lord revealed truths that would mature my faith. Things like going from asking the Lord into my heart to surrendering to Him as Lord of my life. And He is continuing to reveal those things to me. Becoming Christ-like takes a lifetime. Believing in Jesus is the first step, but we don't make that step and stay there. It's a journey where God reveals little bits that He knows that we can grasp and implement. Isn't that precious that our Heavenly Father would give us each our own unique story of sanctification. So I'm going to share with you part of my unique story. But please keep in mind that I am still in the middle of it. I'm in the journey. I don't have a pretty bow to tie it all up with. But I'm confident that my faithful father, who started this good work in me, will carry it on to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So that's a little about me and how I grew up. 
let me jump into my first years of marriage because that's where the rubber hits the road for me. My husband, Brandon, and I are high school sweethearts. We started dating when I was 16, and then about the time that I graduated college, we got married, so 16 years ago. So there we were, ready to start our happily ever after together. Only those first few years were tough. The first real hardship that we faced was Brandon's parents going through a divorce and his father attempting suicide. It wouldn't be the last time that we had to go through that, but the first time was so shocking. It felt like someone had taken the training wheels off of life a little too early, and we crashed. Then we learned that my sister-in-law was dealing with drug addiction and had become pregnant and had a baby. Another crash. And then there was just real life. It was expensive, and neither of us had careers. So at some point, Brandon and his dad started a business together. And not long after, my mom and I started the business together. I know, it sounds crazy. (laughs) And it was. Also, this happened to be during the Great Recession of 2009, so neither of those businesses made it. In a few short years, Brandon and I had experienced crash after crash. Some was self-invoked, but some wasn't. So there we were, pretty much living off PB&Js, just trying to make ends meet. And then Brandon had a dream job opportunity come along. And I mean dream job with a salary, so I was all about it. And suddenly, to me, this all kind of fit, like, Okay, we've been through all these struggles and our ups and downs, and it brought us to this. This is how God's going to provide for us. So Brandon applied and got an interview. And y'all, I prayed so hard that he would get that job. I even fasted. (laughs) I'm not one to skip a meal. But that just shows you how desperate I was that he get this job. I just thought I was doing what I should, praying that God would work this out for us. I'm pretty sure I missed that part of the prayer Jesus models when he says, Thy will be done. I was just praying that my will would be done. And I thought that since it made sense to me, surely that's what God wanted too. Well, that thinking can be pretty dangerous. It allows us to set up expectations on God that he doesn't promise. As I soon discovered, God closed the door on that opportunity and I was left dumbfounded. I couldn't see a possible reason that Brandon wouldn't have gotten that job that job that he needed, that way that God was going to provide for us. If I'm honest about it, it really just hurt my feelings. I had prayed and put confidence in God, and then it just seemed like he didn't show up. What about he'll give you the desires of your heart? Ask and it will be given to you. Pray with expectation. How many of us manipulate and use verses like that to view God as someone who just grants wishes? I don't think any of us would say it quite like that, but really down in our hearts, We have that twisted view of God. It's evident by our faith being shaken when we don't get our way. So as time went on and Brandon remained careerless and we struggled and I couldn't see any life lessons or purposes that God had in this, I'm embarrassed to say that my trust in God wavered. I started to think maybe God was just this distant God that kept all of the big things in control and the small daily decisions were left up to us. I mean, he gave us the rule book. We have the Bible, right? Maybe he wasn't intimately involved in our lives as I had originally thought. Now, I still believed in those truths about Christmas and Easter. My faith in the salvation that he provided never wavered, but I started to doubt his character. I wasn't so sure that he was good, empathetic, intimate, my God who sees me, my comforter. I felt alone to do life. I don't know how long I struggled and wrestled with God over that situation, but over time, 
He taught me that he was being faithful and true to his character. The issue here was my trust, not God's faithfulness. Did I trust God when I couldn't see the why? God revealed to me that it's not fully trusting if I always had to have understanding. He is working even when I don't see it. He is a personal and good God, even when it doesn't seem that way. And trust is a decision, not a feeling. I felt alone to do life, but I wasn't. God was faithfully by my side. I know to anyone else, this situation just looks like, well, my husband applied for a job and didn't get it. Normal life stuff. But to me, God did deep heart work and taught me a lot about trusting him and not allowing my circumstances to define the view of God and his character. So we had a rough start, but eventually we landed on our feet. We both had jobs and some stability. We were happy in our marriage, about to celebrate our fifth anniversary. Life seemed to finally be going well. I had decided to get a job in the restaurant industry. I started as the hostess and worked my way up to a manager pretty quickly, and I thought, ah, this is it. I love this industry. I love my job. I really enjoyed investing my energy into the people around me. It was rewarding to see them grow. Also, I just liked interacting with the guests that would come in for dinner. It was fun. I could see myself making a career with this. I started setting goals for myself and was really excited about my future. Then my world stopped. I was working as a manager for the dinner shift, and typically I just manage the servers, the front of house, the experience that people have as they come in to eat. But on this particular night, we were short a chef or something, so I was also asked to close the kitchen. After I went around and checked on the last of the kitchen staff, I went in the office to start on some paperwork. Several minutes later, someone knocked at the office door. Well, that wasn't unusual. I figured it was just that last employee letting me know that he was finished up and leaving. I got up and opened the door, only it wasn't who I thought. It was a masked man that had a gun pointed to my face. Panic set in. I remember my heart beating so fast. My brain was racing. I was confused about how he could even be in there. I was in a locked restaurant. Then I started to worry. What about that other employee? Is he still here? Is he in the building? Is he hurt? I even started thinking, maybe I should be paying attention to something that could identify this guy so I could report him to the police. Okay, probably watched one too many detective shows with that thinking, but the point is that my mind was swirling. Then instinct took over. Breathe, I told myself. Just give him the money. I couldn't run. I couldn't fight. I just had to do what he said. He tied up my hands and feet and put tape all around my face so I couldn't see. He robbed the office safe. He threatened to kill me. And then, instead of leaving, he raped me. I won't go into any more detail, but what I want you to know about those moments is that God was protecting me. I don't want to say I had some out-of-body experience because it wasn't quite that. I knew what was going on. I saw every detail. But somehow in those moments, God's presence was so thick and tangible, it was covering my soul. I don't know how else to explain it. I didn't doubt for one second that God was faithfully being with me. I wasn't alone. My personal, intimate, good Heavenly Father was right there beside me through it all. And y'all, he prepared me for that moment years before when I doubted his goodness so that I wouldn't have to doubt it then. He knew what my future held before I was even born. And in his perfect timing, he taught me to trust him no matter the circumstances. 
well, it's needless to say, but those next five years weren't much better than the first. Yes, God was with me and he protected me, but I still had the consequences of going through trauma. I was diagnosed with PTSD. For me, that came with a lot of anxiety, depression, and hypervigilance. I had irrational fear. I could tell myself that it was irrational, but my brain just wouldn't listen. I stayed on constant alert for potential threats, keeping my senses heightened and adrenaline at the ready. It's exhausting to constantly stay in that state. Emotionally, I felt broken and lost. And since this happened at work, there was a police report and a news coverage. So everyone that I knew, knew. That was really, really hard for me. I think I have, I guess, a friendly animated personality, but I've always been very guarded when it comes to deeper emotions. Even my close friends can say I have a tendency to be stoic and keep my emotions on a tight leash. So things like going to church and having someone ask, how are you? And then becoming emotional, that was so uncomfortable. I stopped going to Sunday school for a while. I would go to church but then leave as soon as the preaching was finished to avoid any kind of situation like that. Avoidance was a natural form of coping for me. But God was at work here. Obviously, he has done a lot of work in that area for me to even be sitting here talking to you today. This is a display of his power. God knew that I would shrivel up and die on the inside if I tried to keep all of that emotion in and hidden. And that's exactly what I would have done. My preference would have been to never speak of it again. But the day after I was attacked, someone called and told me that there would be a news story about what had happened, including the rape. I had to call my friends and my family and explain to them what happened before they heard it from somewhere else. My favorite description of vulnerability is emotional exposure. I was pretty much forced into this emotional exposure that I did not want, but it allowed my friends and family to pour love and comfort into me during a time that I deeply needed it, but would have never asked for it. I needed those people at church and other parts of my life to check on me. Through that vulnerability, God deepened many of my relationships. I can say now, looking back, that I'm thankful God was in that detail. And that took a long time for me to realize. Also, because everyone around me knew what had happened, I was given really great suggestions for lawyers and therapists that I would have never reached out to on my own. So early in therapy, I was encouraged to read a book, or maybe it was something online, but it was stories of rape survivors. And while it was really helpful to know that what I was going through was normal, it was also extremely depressing. Most survivors had stories that ended with never dating again, or turning to a life of prostitution, or becoming reclusive and living with their parents the rest of their life, or drug addiction. But those are options that Satan tells us our life has to become because of what we've been through. And I understand why women believe these lies. I felt like my sexual purity had been tainted. I wanted to numb the pain. I wanted to avoid going anywhere that felt unsafe because it's exhausting to live in a constant state of panic. Thankfully, I did get help early. And not that I didn't struggle. I did. It took years of therapy to work through some of this stuff. But I'm here sharing my story to let people know there is hope. You don't have to be defined by the trauma you've experienced. There's healing, and healing is good. You might be thinking, well, of course it's good. But hear me say it again. Healing is good. I wish that I'd heard that when I was in the middle of my mess. To me, it didn't feel right to feel happy 
or move on or have laughter and joy in my life. Allowing those good feelings was like I was saying that what happened to me was okay. It took time for me to realize that healing didn't downplay or dismiss the pain that I went through. Healing is good. It's a testimony of what God can overcome. Despite the devastation, God brought healing and joy back in my life. And I began to realize that my identity is in Christ, not in the trauma that I'd been through. So let me take a minute and fill in a few gaps. During the break-in, no one else was hurt. Uh, I mentioned that I was worried about that. There was actually security footage of everything from that day, and the detectives were able to quickly determine that it was a coworker who had been working earlier that night and had laid out a plan for getting back into the building. So he was a cook I didn't have very much interaction with. I didn't know him at all, and I have no idea why he did this. But he was sentenced to 20 years in prison for aggravated rape, especially aggravated kidnapping and aggravated robbery, with no opportunity for parole. He will be deported after he is released from prison because he was here illegally. Thankfully, and I know this isn't everyone's story, but I'm so thankful, he pled guilty and I never had to face him in court. I did have to face the restaurant that I worked for in court. There was a civil lawsuit, and I don't want to get bogged down in the details because that lasted for nine years. Years of meeting with lawyers, filing motions, doing depositions, hearings, appeals. It was a very complicated and difficult case. But the Lord really worked a lot in my life during that time, because nine years is a long time. So I want to share a little about that. It's one thing to be blindsided by a situation. I never anticipated being raped, certainly not at work where I thought I was safe. Being blindsided by that was terrible. But a different kind of terrible is anticipating and knowing that you're headed right into a trial in life. And quite literally for me, it was a trial. I have struggled with anticipatory anxiety since my attack probably more than anything. I can actually handle being in the moment pretty well. I can keep my cool, think level-headed, but it's when I know that something's coming That I cannot handle. So keep that in mind as I explain what happened over the next few years. The first deposition of my case was in 2014. I remember because I was very early pregnant with one of my daughters. The deposition that my husband and I had to give was brutal. We were questioned for two days about everything you can imagine. From every detail of what happened during the attack to how that affected my sex life with my husband. Nothing was off the table, and everything was asked. They had access to my personal journals and the therapy session notes from therapists that I'd seen. I felt humiliated, not to mention intimidated by this room full of confident lawyers who were asking me all of these questions. I felt broken and small and scared. Even thinking about it now, years later, brings back those feelings like I had the wind knocked out of me. So four or five years Prior to the actual trial, I experienced just a glimpse of what it might be like, but that was just in a conference room. I knew that I would have to repeat something similar in court with a room full of people. I spent years anticipating what I knew was to come, and that invoked massive amounts of fear. It was almost paralyzing. When I'd think about it, I wouldn't be able to catch my breath, and my chest felt tight. I kept thinking, God, this is too hard. I can't. By 2017, I was growing weary. It had been going on for years. I had three kids now. When this started, I didn't have any. There were so many days that I wanted to just give up 
forget this had happened and try to move on with my life. But then one day I heard God say, clear as day, he just put in my mind, be willing to go to trial over this situation. And I knew in that moment I would. And I couldn't think of anything worse than having to relive all that I'd been through and having all of that security footage that showed everything that happened being shown to a room full of people. I didn't know why God was asking me to do this, but he was. And I just knew that I was to be obedient and trust. Trusting God is acting in obedience, even when I don't understand the why or when there may be disappointment in the outcome. I heard someone at my church talk about the difference between intellectual trust and putting that trust into action. I was being asked to put my trust into action, and I was terrified. But do you know what beautiful blessing can come from doing that? Confidence in my faith and hope. Romans 5.3 says, We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. God is faithful to do what he says he will. He tells us that he will continue to work in our hearts. Trials and suffering is a major way that God transforms us to be more like Christ. Romans 8.28 is often quoted when people are going through something difficult. It says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. But do you know that the good in this context is conformity to Christ, not earthly comfort? I know, because I questioned the good that I was seeing coming from the things that I was going through. They didn't always look good to me. But once I dug into God's word and asked the Holy Spirit to help me understand, I began to see how God used those things to work on my heart. And one last verse that I want to share, 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And I also write down part of this verse the way the message version puts it, because I love this. Genuine faith put through this suffering comes out proved genuine. When Jesus wraps this all up, it's your faith that God will have on display as evidence of his victory. Y'all, I am overwhelmed My faith has been proved genuine. That's more precious than gold or any earthly value. What more could I ask for my life to be? It's a testimony of God's victory. So when I was reading over these verses to prepare for today, I noticed something. Two of the verses say rejoice in suffering. Rejoice. Okay, I am not there yet. Might not be until the day Jesus returns or calls me home. The Lord still has quite a bit of work to do in my life. Right now, my view of the suffering I've been through seems more like a begrudged appreciation. But he is faithful to work. And I can be confident that one day I will rejoice in the sufferings that I've been through. Isn't God's word amazing that in one verse I can find such deep encouragement and at the same time conviction? So my case did go to trial as God told me it would. We won, and the precedent set by the results of our trial can now be used for women in similar situations. I still don't know why it had to be me. It was every bit as horrible as I had imagined, maybe worse, but God was faithfully by my side. He surrounded me with friends and family to lean on. My people took care of me. 
They took care of my children while I had to be at court. They cooked dinner for me, gave me Bible verses, and prayed for me. God prepared me and taught me truth through His Word, especially through Bible Study Fellowship, when I studied Romans and then all about David's life. I went to court every day armed with Bible verses and song lyrics printed out that I could hold on to when I started to feel like it was all just too much. And I had Brandon holding my hand every step of the way. We got through it. I still have days that I look back and feel angry about what I had to go through. And in those moments, I have to make a conscious decision to forgive and choose to have an eternal perspective about this situation and cling to that first Peter verse that says my faith will result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So Brandon and I had been through, you know, quite a bit over our 16 years. It seems like our marriage had been one crash after another, after another. But God does allow us to see some of the beauty from ashes sometimes. It's a sweet blessing when he reveals his purposes and our sufferings. The most beautiful example I wanted to share about this is the adoption of my daughter. I mentioned that my sister-in-law had a baby. For four years, she fought to be a mom while being chained to drug addiction. My sweet niece caught in the middle. My mother-in-law shared custody of her for many years, and Brandon and I were as involved as we could be with helping to take care of her. It was a village raising and loving on her, which was a thing of beauty in and of itself, because she never felt unloved or unwanted. But seeing that her environment was unstable and volatile, Brandon and I adopted her. She is without a doubt one of the most beautiful blessings in my life. It wasn't easy being thrown into momhood with a four-year-old. I didn't have a clue what I was doing, but God was faithfully by my side again. I am so overjoyed and grateful that she is my daughter and I am her mom. She's 14 now and the absolute best teenager ever. And I'm not just saying that. She's truly a wonderful person. When I look at her, I see God's amazing grace all over that situation. He redeemed a hard situation and produced an abundance of blessings that can be experienced by all the people around her. There are more examples of my life that I could give that show God's tender and sweet workings, but we don't want to be here all day. So let me close with something that God taught me through a question. Jesus loved to ask questions as a gentle way of teaching, and I think he's still in the business of doing so. Uh, After sharing my testimony with someone a few years ago, She asked me what my life looked like spiritually during all these ups and downs. So looking back, I saw that most of my spiritual growth and closeness to the Lord came during those hard times. I leaned into God and he provided peace and joy and hope, but I didn't really have the same experience for those times of simplicity, for lack of a better word. Life's never simple, but for a long time, I couldn't even enjoy the times that felt like they were the ups in life or the times that we weren't in the middle of a mess, because I was too busy fretting and anticipating the next bomb to drop. I felt uneasy when I wasn't in the middle of a chaotic situation, because there was always this looming feeling of what's coming next. Those lulls in life were full of anxiety. So if I know that the trials are coming, and I do, God's word tells us to expect them, how can I live with joy and hope knowing that my future holds hard seasons ahead? Through pondering that question, the Lord taught me and changed my perspective. He taught me to view these seasons as gifts, not times of dread. God has taught me to be still and use this time for rest and preparation. With that perspective, I've been able to let go of some of those feelings of impending doom. 
and rest in the truth that whatever comes in the future, God will be faithfully by my side, as he always has been. He will guide me when I seek his direction. I'm not alone. And just to be clear, the preparation I'm talking about is not anticipating every possible scenario. (laughs) That's what I do when I have anticipatory anxiety. But it's by being in his word and absorbing as much truth as I can. Because I know that when you're in the thick of it, it's not really the best time to start a Bible study. Or maybe it is for you. I'm not discouraging that. But in my experience, it's time to lean on what you know. It's time to let the Spirit minister to you. I've had times where I couldn't even pray for myself. I certainly couldn't get in depth in a Bible study. I needed to have friends that prayed for me. And know and depend on Bible verses like Romans 8.26 that says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. The Holy Spirit will intercede for you with prayers that have depth and emotion. Wow. I know there will be those moments when I need him too. I still have trials and healing ahead. God has heart work that he will do in my life. Being in God's word provides both rest and preparation. And that fresh perspective has been freeing. Now to start back at the beginning of Emily's story, I thought it was so interesting that she had already gone through the season season of doubting God's goodness, mm-hmm. of doubting his character when things didn't go their way. And, you know, the struggle yeah. with her husband's job and the whole thing, I thought, how like all of us to see God as a genie mm-hmm. that makes, you know, that grants mm-hmm. your every wish. And when he doesn't, you're upset. Yeah. But how that really set the stage for the rest of her faith journey. Absolutely. You know, the statement she made that said, trust is a decision, Mm -hmm. not a feeling. I thought that was so powerful. And for her to grasp that before that traumatic night, you know, one thing that spoke to, I think all three of us, we've been talking about it, is just how she felt the Lord's presence Mm -hmm. in that room with her. I got chills. Yes, I had chills Mm -hmm. as I listened to that. And I thought, God, you're just so intimate and you're just so sweet to be in those moments with us and to recognize, you know, at the end, she said that that he's with us in those hard times. And that's when our spiritual growth actually occurs. And I just thought, you know, I loved how she tied so many verses in, you know, in relating to, you know, sometimes we have to go through these hard, traumatic life events in order to understand God's goodness and have hope in Jesus because of those. You know, and with that, she talked about the struggle of finding joy and being happy After while fact. in this state mm-hmm. of trauma, you mm-hmm. know, while dealing with something. We titled it Healing is Good, and she said healing is good, but it didn't feel right to be happy. I, ca- mm-hmm. I can't imagine how that feels of just living in that place mm-hmm. of joy and sorrow, mm-hmm. which a lot of our storytellers talk about. I was in awe of her faith, talking about what you said, Katie, of just when when she said that God was protecting me in that moment. And I thought, how in the world could you be thinking that, that he He was covering my soul is what she said. I think that's that's the part that gave me chills. And for God to have brought her from a place of doubt, a place of who exactly is Jesus, mm-hmm. To in the the worst moment of my life, he was right there. And then how she did transition to her healing. And, you know, a lot of times I think we're not worthy. We hear the lie of Satan that we're not worthy of healing. Mm -hmm. And the Lord was just so sweet to just gently restore her. 
and until she was, you know, yeah. yeah, she was experiencing happiness through mm-hmm. the trauma. And you know, one of the things she said too at the very end there was was all of those verses that she referenced that she found encouragement yet conviction in them as well. Because sometimes it's hard for us to understand, Lord, you want us to go through these traumatic events, and yet you're still going to use them to help us heal mm-hmm. and help us to grow in our spiritual, you know, grow mm-hmm. spiritually with you. I thought that was so encouraging to our listeners to just understand that sometimes, yes, those verses that we hold on to are like you know wonderful um, a healing aid, Mm -hmm. but they can also cut a little bit in our trust in like really developing that trust concept with God. Well, and and I hope that we can all take this truth to, this is a big T trauma. We all have little T trauma and these same truths apply. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, just have faith that God is with you. You are worthy of healing and he can do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. I want to thank Emily for her transparency and for her bravery, because this is a story that needed to be heard. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I mean, honestly, to sit for two years knowing that she was willing Mm -hmm. to share this, this is not a light story to sit on where God, you know, where God's kind of working along the way he is. But she's known for a very long time that she was willing to share and still after all that time didn't get afraid and back out. Mm-hmm. So we are very, very thankful to her. And we're so thankful to our Memphis team to be back. And y'all may have heard that they were sitting outside on a back porch in this with the birds chirping. And there's something really sweet about mm-hmm. that during this story. And so we're thrilled to have them back on board. And if you're interested in starting storytellers in your community, please reach out. We have people reach out pretty regularly. And we are always so excited to talk to you about it to see if this is a good fit for your community and your town. So you can just email us at info at storytellerslive.org if this is something you're interested in. We are so thankful that you listened today and we will talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.